You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Carly, live in Wisconsin. We may have some others hop in here. Sometimes Jacob crawls out of bed and jumps in. I think Tim is still on the road uh, visiting the family. And if Emilio wakes up in time, he may be on here. But, Carly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm yeah, just looking forward to warming up with some diesel in this zero degree weather and hanging out with the posse. You're going to make me hit it already. You better watch your ears here if you get the earbuds. In. <laughs> We've got the got the diesel flowing over here for sure, ready to roll. So uh, we're going to kind of just go back and and touch on a little bit of what happened in the game in Dallas, but we're really going to dig into some more 49ers talk. Um, you know, yesterday we did a pretty extensive breakdown of how to game plan against the 49ers. And I would love to tell you guys we came away going, oh, this, this, and this. That's how you attack it. It was more of they're not really good at this, but they're good at everything else. (laughs) So it's going to be a tough matchup. There's no two ways about that. So I'm excited to see exactly how LaFleur decides to attack this, uh, this 49ers defense and how he tries to contain their offense. But let's just go back one game. Uh, to the uh, the Cowboys game there. Obviously, a huge win for the Packers in the uh, wild card round. Hall of Famer Rondé Barber actually broke down some of the tape. Now, you guys seen our Chalk Talk episode yesterday. What I like to do, though, is I try not to watch anybody's tape study until I do Chalk Talk because I don't want to be swayed in any way, and it's a way for me to kind of look up at a former player breaking down a tape after I've done it and go, I got that wrong. Dang it. He pointed that out. I thought this was this. He's seen it as that, and obviously will always concede to uh, the former player, the former coach, the former executive when breaking this stuff down. But Rondé Barber, if you guys don't know who he is, he played a cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers there in the early 2000s. He might have been there in the, in the late 90s too, but he, he kind of made his hay in the 2000s. He was a part of that awesome Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense that won the Super Bowl, I think, in 2001. 
2001, maybe somewhere in the early 2000s. Uh, might have been 2002. Anyway, they, uh, I mean, just absolutely boat raced the Raiders in that game. Now, he was notorious for playing cornerback in what we refer to as Tampa 2, right? Now, with Tampa 2, obviously, Tony Dungy kind of made it famous. You had John Gruden came over from the Raiders and took over Tampa. And he, even though he's an offensive-minded coach, you guys know he kind of cut his teeth in Green Bay as an offensive assistant, he being John Gruden. And then you had him go to Tampa, and that defense was stacked. So his offense was never great in Tampa, but he had a defense that was just unbelievable, full of Hall of Famers. Rondé Barber was voted into the Hall of Fame, if I remember correctly, in 2023, last year. So he was, a, you know, like I said, he got enshrined last August, if I remember correctly. He's a Hall of Famer. You have Warren Sapp in the middle, who's a Hall of Famer. You had Derek Brooks in the middle. I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but he should be. Unbelievable player. Uh, John Lynch played at safety, right? The Now the GM of the 49ers. So you want to know why the 49ers have such a tough roster and they're building that thing to kind of beat people up in a bar fight. That's the type of player that John Lynch was. But Rondé Barber would play in that Tampa 2. And in Tampa 2, as we've shown on here, it's a cover two zone defense where you've got two safeties playing deep. You're always showing shell. I mean, you can disguise it and do a little invert and things, but for the most part, you're showing shell. And it allows the corners to play very aggressive underneath. And those corners were really, really good at helping set the edge in the run too because they didn't have to worry about flipping their hips and running deep because you basically had two safeties over the top and Derek Brooks had just world-class speed at the linebacker position, could really cover the seam, uh, taking away that middle third in the, what what makes a, what takes a cover two zone defense to a Tampa two zone defense is the mock covers the seam deep down the third. So it's actually a cover three defense if you need it. And there are some man zone match principles that go along with it, meaning if the number two or the number three inside receiver does try to stress the seam, then Derek Brooks could flip his hips and cover the seam. But Rondé Barber was just a very physical corner that could help set the edge in the run and play that underneath zone, that curl flat, if you will. And I couldn't tell you how many times he just baited people into throwing those little hitches, those little curls, and he'd take it to the house. He was just an unbelievable player. Here's what he had to say about Jordan Love and breaking down the tape. Let's take a quick look back at the Packers' 48-32 victory on the road. Uh, at Dallas uh, in uh, Super Wild Card Weekend. Now, a lot of people are going to talk whatever you're going to talk about Dallas and how they've uh, wasted a great season. But the reality is when you watch this game back, Jordan Love had a heck of a football game. He made some ridiculous off-schedule throws early in the game to keep drives alive. But then when they needed him most, he was completely at his best. So two things had to happen in this football game. One, he had to play that way, which he did. Number two, you had to take care of Dallas's best player on defense, and that was uh, Micah Parsons. Now, this first play, this is uh, second quarter, about seven minutes left. Uh, Micah Parsons is at the top of your screen, and I think we've all seen this play. Uh, I thought Matt LaFleur did a great job designing concepts here. Number one, he puts a receiver in fly motion, right? It comes across the formation, uh, but when he, when he does that, uh, you, you know that the uh, the Dallas Cowboys are not playing man-to-man. -man. They're playing some kind of matchup here uh, because the corner didn't run with them. So a little bench route, or I guess a sail route, if you will, uh, if, whatever you call it in your vernacular of, of offensive play calling. But this sail route on this on 33 here to the slot receiver is a perfect throw. But let's go back. I said Jordan Love had to make great plays. You have to take care of Micah Parsons. Watch the top of your screen, uh, number 11. Uh, Aaron Jones steps up because Micah Parsons is beating the tackle. 
perfect protection. All right, this next play. This is, I think, what just really uh, defined uh, uh, Jordan Love's game for me. They're going to run zero pressure. Now, Dallas, you know what that means. Corner has receiver. Uh, other corners have receivers. Uh, safety has a Guys, remember, this is the play that we highlighted yesterday where Jordan actually can to this play. Remember, he came out, he was in an empty 11, right? And you see Patrick Taylor is kind of uh, playing almost that tight end position on the left. He's up, up near the line of scrimmage, not really playing wing, but just kind of attached. Some people call this double chip. I've heard it called double chip, meaning you've got the running back and the tight end on the edge of the offensive line so they can both chip on their way out, and they do it like 99% of the time out of this formation. Jordan came to the line. He looked in the bottom left. If you look in the bottom left corner, he looked up and seen that safety. He's like, why is he over the numbers? If he's over the numbers, and then he did his hard count, and these two backers actually tipped their hand. I don't know if Rondé shows it on this video, but they tipped their hand, and what did Jordan do? Can, can, can. And what he did was he canned and told the Y right there, Tucker Craft, the tight end that the arrow's pointing to, he told him, stay in and block. So now you've got six in the protection to block six guys on the blitz. He reset the protection. He also looked at uh, Jaden Reedy, looked out wide to Tay. And I think he may have changed the play. It could have been the original play, but he definitely tried to can out and get into something that could handle this uh, blitz heavy zero look. So those two backers, that hard count, and I know it ticks a lot of fans off, but running that play clock down to the last possible second, you're getting that information. The hard count got them to declare they're running a double mug blitz. He sees the safety playing on the numbers on the far left. That's got to equal zero man coverage. That's how he got to that point. So I don't know if Rondé highlighted that, but he's going to break down the play here. That's how we got to this point. And I'm telling you, it's why we do chalk talk. Those little details in the game is what separates wins from losses, and in this case, a, a blowout win in the playoffs from a otherwise tough game. Jordan's just on his on his p's and q's when it comes to pre snap read. So tight end, but number one, take care of Micah Parsons. They put a chipper. Look at the running back number twenty seven, bottom of your screen, to just take enough off of Micah Parsons uh, to give Jordan Love time to retreat away from this blitz and make this pass over the, the uh, outstretched arms of the corner at the top of your screen. Perfectly executed, knew exactly what they were doing, knew exactly what they were going to get, touchdown. All right, fast forward. Let's go to the third quarter because there's there's two plays here that I think really uh, describe, really show, exemplify what Matt Floor was trying to do to Micah Parsons. Look at this zip motion uh, by the tight end. Now, in this particular instance, they don't actually hit – uh, they don't actually hit Micah Parsons, but the idea was the same. Put a tight end off the ball, coming back, he misses him. But watch the route combination uh, to that Dobbs gets here. Uh, it's like a cross, it's like a, a cross country route, if you will. And Ooh, you see the corner just completely loses the receiver. He's still going to the other side of the field. Receiver is wide open. Uh, Jordan Love makes. Notice we called it cross corner. He called it cross country. I love it. I love the different vocabulary. Um, I may steal that. I may change my cross corner to cross country. Just a great, great concept. Incredible throw. This is probably the throw of the game for me. Can uh, I ask a question, Clayton? When, yeah, on absolutely. That? So can you rewind just back to the beginning of that play? Because he was talking about how he didn't actually even touch Micah Parsons on this, but it looks like that person just swings out wide for some reason. I'm just trying to understand like why he didn't even seem to come back during that. Let's take play. a look at all right, so you get the play fake, right? You're talking about, mm -hmm. okay, you're talking about Micah, right? Yeah. Yeah, see, DeGuara completely whiffs. It's, uh, yeah. is that what you're referring to, the the lack of blocking on him? It, you, yeah. We, 
we broke it down last night on Chalk Talk. Like you could see okay. from, from the other angle. Um, I think it was from the TV copy. You can see DeGuara's feet. You know, it's what Mike Wall talks about all the time is how you arrive at confrontation determines how you handle confrontation. And I don't know if we could see it here, but last night right there, it's it's really hard to see from this angle. His legs were pretty much vertical. He had no base at all. Like right there, mm-hmm. that's you got to get out wide. You know your help's inside. You've got to get out wide and anchor that thing. And you see later on the uh, on the dragon wheel to Musgrave that was running just absolutely wide open. Um, on that play, Tucker Kraft was the sifter, and he gets way out wide, gets really, really wide in his base, and uh, is able to uh, have, a, have a lot better protection on that specific play. Now, the pressure came from another pers- person on that play, but Tucker did a much better job. But yeah, this is on DeGuara. It was a beautiful play call, beautiful design, but DeGuara just completely, I mean, I love the guy. He's, you know, you hear Tucker Kraft and these young tight ends talk about him. They absolutely adore him. He's a leader. He's leading Bible study. He's everything you want in a leader. But, man, on the field, it's just hard to watch. So, was that what you are asking? Yep. yep. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was It was tough to watch, especially on the other angle. This one actually um, protects him a little bit, to be honest with you. <laughs> but you can see, though, he does just kind of completely, yeah, you can't let that happen, man. All right, let me get back to the audio here. It's like a uh, cross-country route, if you will, and to see the corner just completely loses the receiver. He's still going to the other side of the field. Receiver is wide open. Uh, Jordan Love makes an incredible throw. This is probably the throw of the game for me uh, when I went back and watched this one just because he knew he was going to get hit. All right, next play. This is three plays later, and uh, that that concept that we were talking about is just a split zone, right? Y'all know what split zone is. Line blocks one way, tight end comes back under. Watch this play. It's the exact same action, tight end off the ball, find 11, chop him down, take him completely out of the play, and Dallas's defense was too soft up the middle. Right on time, Carly. Now here's DeGuara throwing a good block, <laughs> right? Oh, so, uh, the best on the ground. Aaron Jones sifts trots and in split flow, bang. Give a lot of credit uh, to, to, to Jordan Love here in this football game. Yes, Aaron Jones, when they rush for 100 yards, they've been winning. Uh, and both of those things happen. Now, Dak Prescott threw for 402 yards. A lot of people are going to say those two interceptions were, what the, what were the difference in this. But the reality is Green Bay took care of Michael Parsons and Jordan Love deserves the love. Get your flowers here, young man. You played a heck of a game. Congratulations. You get to go play San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> Don't like that. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> Ronnie Barber's awesome. And guys, again, that's from the 33rd team. It's why I love the 33rd team. It still amazes me that there's some fans and podcasters that just kind of shoo at that. I think they just can't stand the fact that it's former players, former executives, former coaches, and they they won't allow their ego to get out of the way. But, man, when you got a Hall of Fame cornerback, Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame cornerback. I think he went to six Pro Bowls or whatever it was, something crazy. Breaking down tape, I'm going to shut up and listen. So I uh, absolutely love that stuff for sure. Carl, you got any questions about that? Any comments on it? Yeah. Um, so I was, I've got some thoughts that I'm going to be honest, it's not all my original thoughts. It's kind of things I've been thinking of after listening to several different podcasts and things about these X's and O's and the last game. But um, one of the ones I was listening to was talking about how great offensive minds can scheme up stuff and scheme up really well. But then the really, really great ones, um, they are the ones that when that scheme goes wrong or when, you know, it, it, someone figures out how to defeat it, they can on the fly adjust and um, really 
kind of scheme up, yeah, just scheme up things on the fly or whatever. And so what I'm wondering is like if the 49ers, like how much of our offensive schemes here are really timing dependent? And if the 49ers can throw a wrench in that, if they can mess up the timing for Jordan Love, how vulnerable do you think we will be to that? Or do you think it's not so timing dependent, especially with Aaron Jones, that we are going to be able to be kind of resilient toward that? Yeah, you know, I think the best way to answer any question like that is the first thing that comes to mind. And the first thing that came to mind for me is I don't think the way this offense is playing, Green Bay's offense, is so much based on timing right now. Um, to me, what I'm seeing is a lot of Jordan Love fading back, right? You know, where most quarterbacks are looking to scramble right and left, he just keeps fading back, fading back, and buying time, buying time, these awkward angles. You know, I mean, he he threw some throws in that game where I was just like, I don't remember Aaron throwing from that trajectory. Aaron had crazy arm angles, don't get me wrong, but this is a different kind of fadeaway. I mean, so when you talk about can they disrupt the timing, yes, any defense can disrupt the timing of an offense, but I think that's kind of plays towards Green Bay a little bit. If there's, you know, one of only a handful of things that you look at Green Bay and go, okay, I, I kind of like this approach against the 49ers. I think it's that backyard ball kind of mentality, the crazy play calling from the floor where you literally had a strike concept on the left, a deep strike concept on the left. You had a dragon wheel across the middle and then obviously up the seam. And then you had a T screen throwback on the same play, all off a of play action boot is like, <laughs> there's so much going on there. None of that's really based on timing on that specific play because you've seen, Romeo Dobbs, one of the plays there, the ball was underthrown. It was kind of late getting to Dobbs, but it was because Jordan was trying to buy time and avoid the rush to backpedal. And then, of course, the throw to Musgrave. We all praise Musgrave for not falling down. But honestly, if the ball's thrown accurately down the field, you know, in stride, you don't have to worry about him falling down. But it's because the timing was off a bit because Jordan's having to buy some extra time back there. So uh, I think we've actually got a video on it, but I want to make sure I answered your question there first, where I think it's Baldy actually goes on a San Francisco 49ers uh, radio station and talk to them about that very thing. It's funny that you bring that up. But, yeah, as far as the timing, if I'm understanding your question correctly, will will San Francisco be able to throw their timing off? Absolutely. They're a great defense. But by throwing that timing off, I think it plays into the Packers' hands a little bit because they're playing a little backyard ball right now. Like, remember the Romeo Dobbs play that we showed where it was the backside dig and Dobbs just kind of sat down in the zone? That's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. That wasn't thrown on time, right? So um, hopefully that answers your question. That's the first thing that came to mind for me, though, as you asked it, that makes sense. So, Yeah, no, that totally does. And it's actually – it's so exciting just to know that, like, just to see that trust that has developed – with love and the receivers and to know that he, he trusts them to get open. He's going to buy some time. He's not going to, he, he knows it's not all on his shoulders. He's just one piece in the puzzle. And if he can let the other pieces settle into place, it's going to happen. It's just, it's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so here was Brian Baldinger, 11 year vet. He went on a 49ers radio station. I definitely want to give them credit. I think it was 95. Well, you'll see the number, and then I'll read it off again and, and give give a shout-out there for sure. And, and, guys, go to the 33rd team, retweet their stuff, give them likes, all that. I want to make sure they get credit for that video with Rondé Barber. They're amazing. Uh, they've DM'd us a couple things, too, uh, videos to share, things like that. They seem like a just – I love the way it's ran. It's called the 33rd team because they treat their coverage as if they are the 33rd team in the NFL. They're digging into the into the tape, into the EPA, all the tendencies. When I show the game plan, the tendencies, all that stuff's coming from the 33rd team because I trust their approach to what's important as far as analytics. Not all this 
I don't want to get into it. It's just it's amazing how people will kind of bend the statistics to try to prove their point. But um, anyway, yeah. So let's uh, let's see what Brian Balding, your 11 year vet offensive lineman in the NFL talks with the 49ers radio station about, you know, we're showing you guys 49ers tape this week. We're showing you, all right, here's kind of digging into the game plan to beat the 49ers. Those fans are doing the same thing. So they reached out to Baldy and was like, hey, tell us about Jordan Love. Tell us about these Packers. I'll try to get the volume adjusted where it's not too loud, if possible, if it does come in hot. So I apologize. Watch your eardrums, people. Love making throws off his back foot. Perfect against a blitz. Talk about his evolution here. Right here, and he has a ball. The crazy part is Christian Watson's been out for most of the season. Yeah, well, uh, let me let's start right there, Bonte, because I'm glad you asked me that question. So, if you watch the game, I know you watched the Eagles and the Bucks last night, Baker and you know Jalen, and you know when they get pressure, they bail to the right or to their left. Mm-hmm. Most quarterbacks do, except Jordan. Jordan will do that on occasion, but what Jordan will do more frequently is back up. And he'll buy himself an extra tick because he trusts his arm to be able to deliver an accurate throw off the back foot. Mm. And it, it happened on the touchdown to Dontavian Wicks when he had mm-hmm. pressure right in his face from Dallas. And instead of trying to elude the pressure and escape right or left, he just simply backed up. And I don't even know how you teach that because you don't see many guys be able to do that. But it is a, um, it, it is a, a skill that he has that allows him to rescue a lot of plays. And sometimes that's all he needs is just an extra tick or half a tick to be able to make the throw. And he is really adroit at making that move. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, that was 95-7, the game in the Bay Area. So pretty cool just hearing them kind of uh, trying to get a little bit of information, obviously, on Jordan Love. Carly, I've seen your conversation in the chat about uh, Nick Bosa. Uh, I think, yeah, Nick Bosa. They are, are they saying that he's talking crap about Jordan Love? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah, that um, up near the top, I think Blake Berry said that Bosa had some comments about Jay Love and was maybe running his mouth. And so I asked what they said. Yeah. I just went to Twitter and I searched and, and there is a 30 second clip of him talking. It looks like he's talking about the Packers. So let's see if this is the clip. It's the one at the very top of the list. I'm assuming it's the right one. Uh, the other ones on down the list here. It looks like it goes into. Uh, yeah, it looks like it goes into earlier in the year where he's talking crap about the Eagles. So uh, let's see what Nick said here about uh, about Jordan Love. I've got this video. Let's check it out. Hopefully it's loud enough, guys. I can't do anything. Um, I can't do anything about the volume when they're in the locker room like this. So here we go. All talks about is is the whole team has improved throughout the entire season. They've gotten a lot of guys healthy, and and they have a lot of the same guys from the past really good teams they've had, and um, a quarterback who does exactly what he's coached to do, which Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer and unbelievable. But he kind of went outside of the realm of of coaching and. And uh, sometimes it's it's good when you have a guy who, who does what he's coached to do. Yeah, so right there he's just talking about Jordan Love's coachability and how he's uh, not going out of the structure of the offense. So I don't know if that's what they're talking about. If, if it is, guys, let me know in the chat. If that is, I don't see anything wrong with that, you know. Um, yeah, he says uh, you could take it. Here we go. Here's Blake. That must have been. He said you could take that as a slot at Love or a slot at Rodgers. I don't think it's a slot at anybody, to be honest with you, Blake. I got to – I got to respectfully disagree with that, bro. Um, you know, what he said there, I mean, what what was his exact words? It was, look, you know, Kyle has told us this is a different team. They're playing better now, right? Kyle also went on to say, or, or Nick went on also went on to say that, hey, this is a guy who's playing within the scheme, playing within the system, right? And then he pointed out that, look, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer. Great talent. He does some awesome things going off cuff and changing the play at the line and all that. But sometimes it's better just to have someone who's going to run exactly what the coaches tell you to run, right? Is that how you took it too, Carl? That's how I took that. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, I expected it to be a, a little bit more like derogatory or whatever. But yeah, I think it was probably just, just stating some facts and that could be taken either way. It's probably just he doesn't yeah. look like he's super comfortable in front of the camera, honestly, yeah. which I'm not taking a dig at him. I'm just saying it as a thing. So yeah, it seems pretty just honest off the top of his head. Yeah, I was expecting Bosa to say something about his grandmama or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I thought he was going to talk about yeah. But, yeah, yeah, like Blake said here in the chat, uh, you could take that as a slide at Love or a slide at Rogers. Let's see what else everybody else is saying. Randy Steen in the chat said, I still think it was complimentary. Maybe that's just me. That's kind of how I've seen it, too. Uh, Jen Wright said, maybe just facts. Uh, let's see. Margin Cron said, what a wet rag. Bosa's have zero personality. <laughs> all right. Taking a shot at the personality. Stephen Smith just rolled over and grabbed a cup of diesel, said morning all. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, number one Packer fan said it's not a slot. It's actually paying the team respect and how they've improved. 
Uh, let's see. Drew D says, seem pretty factual uh, because we've all said that. Very true. Uh, Freddie Roper in the chat said, he's saying love is more coachable than Rodgers. That's all. I think that's a fair assessment. Blake said, I personally don't have an issue with it, but some people on X had some reactions. Got you, buddy. That makes sense. Lots of people just want a reason to be mad at Bosa. Yeah, especially since this last election cycle. That's something that got pretty heated, obviously, which uh, we won't go into it. We got a few people on, on the Packers roster that I hope they don't take that same energy, too. You know, people have the right to believe how they want to believe, but uh, that's just my two cents. Lucky says, we all, we all can interpret it differently. No problem. Absolutely, man. That's what makes this world go around. Um, Randy Cleaver's in the chat said, I think both look a bit nervous. <laughs> I like that. I like that approach. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, let's see. Drew D says, Bosa didn't want to get too spicy without his tea, uh, his tea leader of Mountain Dare. I got to hit you with it, man. Appreciate you there. I tried this one chili and it set my mouth on fire and I had to drink a tea leader of Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's the one I was waiting for right there. That's it. <laughs> got it. All right. Let's move on now. Um, we were talking kind of game plan, right? It, Carly, you got anything else you want to add there? I know we just hit on Bosa. You just heard um, – what was the video we just showed? Oh, Baldy talking about J-Love, all that stuff. Anything you want to add to that conversation? No, no, I think we covered it. All right, good deal. So we've been talking about game planning, and we were kind of looking at some of the things. I've been making notes this morning and just trying to – what I'm going to start doing moving forward, uh, you know, I know the season's almost over. Um, hopefully we got a couple more games to cover. That would be absolutely awesome. But when we do game planning, I'm going to start making my notes and, and actually having my notes in front of me as far as offensive game plan and defensive game plan and moving forward. I should have been doing it all year, but hey, it was all an experiment this year and we'll get better as we go. But uh, when we look at their defensive identity on offense, how do we attack them? We kind of hit on it a little bit last night, Carly, and just to kind of get you filled in if you didn't get a chance to catch the whole show or whatever. One of the things that stood out to me was against his own run. And this is probably hard for you to read and I can read any of these off to you so you can see them or, or understand them. But They've played zone run 58% of the time on defense. They've faced zone runs 58% of the time. That's 30th most in the league. So, I mean, there's only two other teams that's seen uh, less zone run than them, okay? Now, their EPA dropped all the way down to 31st. So there's only one team that had a lower EPA expected points added when playing against a zone run. Now, against gap run, they faced that 42% of the time. That was third most in the league and their EPA is third in the league. Really good at stopping gap run. So what that suggests is in our offensive game plan, we need to attack them with zone run. What did we just show on some of those plays? We showed split flow or split zone. It's zone one way with a sifter coming across the formation to the other side, right? So that kind of plays into our hand a bit. It doesn't mean that the 49ers aren't going to look up and go, guys, we got to really key in on stopping the zone run this week. I'm sure that's the you know, top priority with Aaron Jones having these back-to-back-to-back great games, right? But that's something you want to notch in the book. The other thing, they rush four 78% of the time. So they're only bringing four pass rushers 78% of the time. That's fifth most in the league, and their EPA is seventh. So what is the highest percentage outside of bringing four that they do the most compared to the rest of the league? It's probably six-plus rushers. They do that 12th most, but they're pretty balanced. When you look at it across the board, they bring, you know, four rushers, 78 percent of the time, five rushers, 15 percent of the time, six plus rushers, five percent of the time. So they're going to be bringing four. I mean, pretty much three quarters of the uh, offensive snaps are only going to be bringing four. And when they do that, their EPA is seven. So what do we got so far? 
Zone run seems to be their weakness, if there is a weakness for this absolute freaking super team that is the 49ers. They rush for 78% of the time. Now, what kind of coverage do they play? They play man coverage 20, 20% of the time. That's 23rd most in the league. They play zone 65% of the time. That's right. You heard it. You heard it right. 65%. 65%. They're playing zone coverage 65% of the time. That's 10th most in the league. Their EPA in zone is fourth. They're top, top four in the league in EPA when playing zone, and they're 13th when playing man. So you're going to be playing zone 65% of the time is what you're going to be facing is zone. You guys know last week I pointed out that the Cowboys were going to be playing a lot of man coverage. You've seen on some of the breakdowns, they played a little zone match. They tried to mix it up a bit, but they were still in man coverage. And with zone match, it's essentially, it's not a spot drop play. It's it's still, it turns into man coverage if the offense attacks a certain way. So you've seen them getting burned like that cross country play, or what I refer to as the cross corner, uh, cross corner route. That was man coverage. You've seen Stephon Gilmore trying to cut that crosser off underneath, and they turn it into a cross-corner route. Um, so we pointed that out, and we said Romeo Dobbs is the receiver that's best at beating man coverage. Well, this week you're going into a, a zone-heavy team. The guys who really, really excel against zone coverage, if I remember correctly, was Jaden Reed, Tay Wicks against the zone, and also Tucker Craft. So you may see the tight ends implemented more, but this is probably going to be a, a decent game for – uh, Tay Wicks and Jaden Reed. So just keep that in mind. They play zone 65% of the time. Now, middle field open, middle field closed. They're in middle field closed 40% of the time. That's 27th most in the league. So they're at the very, very bottom of the league there, just five spots from the very bottom. Middle field closed. That means single high safety. So they're playing shell coverage or middle field open 46% of the time. That's 11th most in the league. When they're in middle field closed, their EPA dips to 17th. When they're in middle field open, it's at second in the league, okay? So what does that tell you? That another thing we need to make on our offensive notes here for offensive game plan is middle field, middle of the field open. They play that 46% of the time, and that is 11th most in the league, okay? So that's how we're putting a game plan together, and we'll get to the defensive side. If not on this episode, we may do it later tonight. Now, as far as – Going back and looking at the the you know game saturations, right? What did they do here in the past? We pulled up their schedule, and just I wanted to kind of get an idea of what kind of quality opponents did they play, and understand that typically when you read, take your eye off the ball 2.0, you'll find out that, and I'm sure they still do it the same way. They may do it the same exact way, but I guarantee you they do it the same way to a certain extent. Coaches will go back when they face a team; they'll say, "Let's go look at their 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 last four games. Let's do a four game saturation." And then let's look at the last two head-to-head matchups against them. And in, in most cases, it's coordinator versus coordinator. So it would be Matt LaFleur versus whoever Kyle Shanahan had at defensive coordinator, right? So if he had a different defensive coordinator and their tendencies have changed, you almost have to throw a little bit of that out and really lean on the last four game, the previous four game saturation. Now we pointed out the Rams, they pulled that they didn't they didn't play their starters. There was nothing, nothing on the line there. So you got to kind of throw that tape out. So you go back to the Washington Commanders, the 28th-ranked team according to the 33rd team uh, in SIS data. You had the Baltimore Ravens that they lost to. That is the second-best team in the league. Then you got the Arizona Cardinals. They beat them. They're the 13th highest in EPA. And then the Seattle Seahawks, who was 16th in uh, in opponent ranking, not EPA, but opponent ranking according to the 33rd team. Okay, so of that four-game saturation there, there's one team that beat them, right? It was Baltimore. So 
what the Packers are probably doing here, and most teams do, is they'll go now and they'll pull that tape, right? Well, you guys know we're limited on time. There's only so much we can do. And, uh, yeah, Carly, if you will, uh, give me a timestamp on that on that uh, comment. I see your comment there in the private chat. Uh, so I actually – I can't – I can't see the timestamp for some reason, but it's up. Um, it's up above Eric Sutherland saying Eduardo, good morning, go pack go. So it's only about maybe twelve comments up. Okay, Nick McSwain. Nick McSwain. Let me try to mm -hmm. find it here. Um, boom, that question there. Yep. Okay, got it. So Nick McSwain asks, how does zone run differ from gap run? So with zone run, and this was made really, really popular. Lombardi was the, to the best of my knowledge, the first coach to ever implement it. He implemented it in New York. And I love hearing that video, watching that video of him implementing it because they, he said that the guys looked at him like he was crazy and they couldn't get anybody to buy into it early on. Zone blocking, it's, it's exactly how it sounds. You're blocking to a zone. You don't have a specific gap assignment, a specific, hey, I'm blocking that guy right there. You're blocking to an area, right? So when we showed that split flow, did you notice Rondé showed that split flow? You had the line was just kind of fanning. They're moving right in a direction. You're blocking a zone, and whoever enters that zone, that's who you're blocking. With a gap run, you've got a specific assignment. We're going in this gap. That's where the run's designed. Everybody knows who their man is. They come up. They set the protection. They set the blocking scheme, if you will. The center will come out and go, okay, there's our mic right there. Awesome. As soon as he identifies the mic, Everything else on the offensive line blocking scheme will set to that. You still have a little bit of that in zone run, but with gap, it's absolutely huge. Okay. So that's the difference between gap and zone. Zone. Do you think do, do you think, Clayton, that the that the zone run gives Aaron Jones more freedom and kind of plays up to his strengths a bit by letting him kind of pick the best place for him to slot sneak through? Carly, you're too smart for this show. That's exactly what it does. And you've got some players that that doesn't fit their strength, right? If you've got a big bruising, I'll give you an example, A.J. Dillon, right? A.J. Dillon, if he was in a gap or a power scheme, a majority power scheme, power, you've got guards pulling over, and we run power, right? We, we run everything. We run power. We run duo, which is vertical power. We run wide zone. We run inside zone. We run pin and pull. We run toss crack. We run everything. But A.J. is more of a downhill runner. What suits A.J. Dillon's game is to have him lined up in an A-set or an I-formation playing in the power game because you've got guards pulling over, tackles pulling over. You can have a GT power, which is a guard and a tackle both pulling. You can have a center pull on some plays if you run a toss play. So that's kind of a gap run style play. Now, when you go to zone, like you're talking about, A.J. Dillon doesn't have the cutting ability that Aaron Jones has, right? I think we would all agree with that. So Aaron Jones is made for a zone scheme. I'll tell you someone else who, who was was uh, Terrell Davis. Remember him for the Broncos because he was a kind of a not necessarily a one cut and go, but he could get the defense flown in one direction and then cut back. That's the whole purpose of Mike Shanahan in Denver. When he came over and he said, I'm going to take Alex Gibbs's zone blocking scheme. I'm going to take it and attach it to the West Coast offense. That was the birth of our offense today, which is known as wide zone boot, okay? Now, they may have done it more out of uh, out of I formations and 21 personnel. Some people are now labeling the Packers and the Sean McVay system as single back zone now because we do run a ton of – I mean, obviously, we don't, even, we don't technically have a fullback on the roster. We experimented with it early on in the year, right? But now we've gotten into more – a sets, we kind of – DeGuar is just going to be a tight end from here on out moving forward until he's you know, moves on to another team or what have you. But, yes, 
Aaron Jones is built for zone blocking because it does give him the freedom to cut back. You've seen it all day there against the Cowboys because if he doesn't know where he's going to cut, how is the defense going to know, right? So you're much like when a quarterback comes to the line, if if the defense tips their hand, he's gathering information to give him a slight edge in the post-snap assessment, right? Well, on the defensive side, if it's a gap run, they've got a good idea of, okay, when the ball snap, we read the blockers, they're probably hitting this gap. Well, if you've got the whole offensive line flowing in one direction, like it's a wide zone left, and then a sifter comes around and cracks that, that opposite edge, and now Jonesy has a cutback lane, how do you prepare for that? It's it's darn near impossible. So, yes, I'm and glad. It seems you- like it seems like sorry, I just it seems like our um, PFF grades too, as they've improved in our run blocking. It seems like we run block better for zone run as as well. Like that has played to our O line strength. Yeah, and it's it's a lot easier to marry zone blocking up with the pass game because when you think about this from a linebacker's perspective, you're lined up, you know, roughly three to five yards away from the line of scrimmage, right? And you're kind of sitting there in the middle, you're in the hole and all right, they snap the ball and they're running the ball down your throat. And when you see that offensive line completely fan in one direction and you've got your quarterback turning his back to the line of scrimmage and holding the ball out as a linebacker, you've got to go with the offensive line. You're reading the offensive line. So if you get that same action, on a pass play that you do a run, you're displacing those linebackers. People, When people hear play action, they think it's all about just the hand fake, right? It's the Jordan Love faking the ball to the running back. That's what tricks the linebackers. It does, don't get me wrong. But what they're keying in on is the offensive line. And if you've got a two-back system, which typically goes to a two-gap defense, then what you got, what you have in that situation is they're reading the line to the fullback. The fullback lead, unless it's a counter, is going to tip where the ball's getting ran to. So if a defense is looking at the line and they're fanning wide left, they got to get out there and get in their gap. Or if there's two backs, they got to get to their two gaps, right? And if that's the case, they're getting displaced. Now it's play action boot. Everyone, everyone on the defensive side is moving in the wrong direction. What LaFleur does well, he gets them flowing one direction with the offensive line then flowing back the opposite direction with the boot. And then the play is going back to the same side that the, the the linebacker started on. So they may go offensive lines moving left. They move left. Oh, crap, we got boot action right. Let's move back right. And then the ball comes out and goes back to the left. So you get the whole really two, two and a half, three fakes on one play. So um, that's what LaFleur is always talking about with marrying up the run with the pass. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, and great question, Nick. Good stuff, man. And, and again, I don't understand all the nuances of the running game. It's not something I'm really if, – if you were to say this is the strength of me breaking down tape, it's understanding uh, passing concepts, route combinations, that type of thing, how we're attacking a secondary. But I've really dug in the last two years into uh, running schemes and, and strategy and all that stuff. But I'm a big fan of zone because, again, just like zone match, right, on the defensive side. Why do I like zone match? Because if we don't even know what coverage we're running yet until they declare what routes they're running, the quarterback definitely doesn't know. And if we're able to do that with a lead with two on the shelf playing that shell coverage and always showing the same pre-snap look, you're now preventing the quarterback from making a pre-snap read and you're absolutely forcing him to make a post-snap read. So to me, that's two positives and you haven't even done anything on defense yet, right? Um, when you're in man coverage, what does it do? Pre-snap, 99% of the time the quarterback comes out and goes, that's man coverage. 
So he knows pre-snap what the defense is. Post-snap now, he's just got to read his leverage. Okay, they're playing outside leverage. Let me hammer this slap, uh, this slant. Okay, they're playing inside leverage. Let me handle the Dino or the out route, right? So it's quite the opposite. You're giving them pre-snap information and getting them to the answer to the equation a lot quicker. And that's how the Cowboys drop almost 50 points in a playoff game because they like to play a lot of man coverage. That's why I hate man coverage. Now, it's a necessary evil. If you just sit in zone all the time, especially spot drop, where it's just, hey, we're going to drop back and cover a specific zone, you will get picked apart. Now, if you mix in spot drop with zone match, you can really start to play games with the uh, with the def- or with the offense. So it's why we play a ton of spinner. I hear people from time to time go, I'm so sick of just seeing this cover three, cover three, cover three. Tell you right now, guys, to the best of my knowledge, there's only one interception this year that came in man coverage. And we wonder why turnovers are down for the Packers because we've played more man coverage this year, right? When you're in zone, you've seen it on the Savage pick six, right? Nobody complaining about that cover three uh, on that play. Where <laughs> his eyes were on Dak the entire time. He baited him. He sugared like he was covering the number three, and he jumped the number two. And, and I, looking at it from Dak's perspective, it's like, what do you do there? You've got to get rid of the ball, you know? You probably just take the sack and punt. At least it saves you seven points. But, yeah, that's a lot a lot we hit on there, but I'm glad we did. That's absolutely awesome. So let's do this. Um, we were talking about offensive game plan. Let's stay on that side of the ball. What did the Ravens do? to get the 49ers kind of on their heels because you guys seen the Ravens obviously beat the 49ers. That's why many people, and I agree with, I'm one of those people. I believe the Ravens are the best team in the league and the 49ers are the second best team in the league. That's the way I see it. I could be wrong. And listen, the worst team in the league can beat the best team in the league on any given Sunday. We talk about all the time, the old cliche, but when you look at the 49ers and the Ravens, these are, this is arguably uh, the the best odds at the two Super Bowl teams, right? The Super Bowl preview, if you will, would probably if you had to if you had to look at the betting odds, I bet it would be Baltimore has has the uh, you know the best odds to make it to the Super Bowl in the AFC, and the 49ers have the best odds in the NFC. And let's kind of look at what they did on offense. So let's go to Brian Baldinger for what they did. Okay, how did they stop the 49ers defense? So this is our offensive game plan. What did we come up with? Zone run weakness. Right. They rush for 78 percent of the time, but they will blitz. But 78 percent of the time, it's four man rush. Right. They play zone and they 65 percent of the time and they play middle field open, which is shell coverage, two safeties on the shelf, 46 percent of the time. So what it all starts with, like Baldy points out here, is Nick Bosa. You've got to stop Nick Bosa. Here's what Baldy, Brian Baldinger had to say about that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Ravens said, this Nick Bosa guy, he ain't going to beat us. Under any circumstances, he ain't going to beat us. We'll do everything we have to do. We'll put all our offense alignment on Nick Bosa and Kinlaw, but we're not going to let Bosa get to Lamar Jackson. I mean, sometimes they just announce their game plan. Like, let's make sure everybody gets a piece of Bosa. And then whatever Lamar does, Lamar does. Mrs. Zay Flowers, one of the few misses to Zay in the, during the game. 
All right, so there's an example of just how much that they allocated to stopping Nick Bosa, right? It's important to, okay, this is the team that beat the 49ers. This is the team that established their dominance in the NFL by beating arguably the, the second best team in the league, right? Look how much of a priority they put on Bosa. I don't think we'll do that because we've got Jordan Love with these fadeaway throws and stuff. I think they're going to do what they did last week, just a little chip. I don't think in any situation we'll have three guys blocking Nick Bosa. But I do think you'll have a little chip off that side, and they will be aware of where he's at. Now, when you put that many people blocking him, it's going to create uh, a weakness somewhere else, right? Uh, My question is, why didn't they hit home on the other side of the line, right? So something to keep in mind. Again, we're going back to the last loss that they had, right? Uh, you know, outside of the one against the Rams where they pulled their star or didn't even play their stars to the best of my knowledge. So here's something else they did. They brung some cornerback blitzes. Let's show this. Take a look at this interception here. The Ravens are in a cover two right here. Safeties are back. Here comes Ayuk in motion. They don't do anything. They just sit there in their zone coverage right here. But they're going to blitz both corners, both Brandon Stevens and Marlon Humphrey. 21 and 44 are both coming. Now on the play... It's a good play. It's a good it's a good blitz, especially if they hand it off to McCaffrey right here. You're going to get somebody that's just going to force McCaffrey inside. But if you throw it like they do here, and they see Debo just expanding because that's a hot read against that look, the safety's got to come down and cover him. But Stevens gets his hands up in the air. And Humphrey was blitzing from the other side, so he gets a batted ball interception right there. And they stop that drive. They just do things different than every other team in the league. They give up yards. They don't give up a lot of points. Now, some people are going, well, Joe Barry would never do that. He did it a couple games ago with Keyshawn Nixon. Remember remember when Key was uh, firing off the cat blitz? So just an example of we're built to do that if we need to, right? Um, now, how do we blow up their run, right? How are we going to approach that? Um I'm sorry, not their run. That that was on defense there. Yeah, right. I just want to show that cat blitz and how they approach that. Let's go back to the offensive side of the ball. How are we attacking them on offense, right? This is what Baltimore did. They showed a lot of smoke routes and bubble screens, smoke screens and bubble screens. Watch this. The Niners drafted Zay Flowers to be the go-to guy. They line up in a power pistol formation right here, and the Niners are thinking run. So you fake it and you hitch it out here to Zay Flowers. Just get the ball in his hands. Pick up a couple blockers. Pick up six, seven yards. I think the Niners line up in a quarters look right here. This is going to be an RPO. Either give it to Justice Hill or throw it out here to Zay Flowers. And there you go. You get all these. It's an easy decision for Lamar. All right? Now, whoop, whoop, whoop. Makes a bunch of people miss. That's what they loved about it. And here's the same look. You know, a couple series later. Quarters look. Here it is. Another RPO. In fact, don't even fake it. Like, just get it. Remember what we said? Quarters look. What we just established. Middle field open 46% of the time. That's 11th most in the league. To Flowers. And let him just go pick up the first down. And then you do this. You get this situation down here in the goal line. You fake the pitch to Gus Edwards. And then you get Zay Flowers leaping behind you. Like, they drafted him to be the number one receiver. And then they use him like this. Like, this fake just holds everybody. It holds Bosa, it holds Warner, it holds Greenlaw. And while they're all frozen, Zay Flowers just leaks. Notice how they're in zone. Look at those two defenders in each other's hip pocket. They play zone 65% of the time. He's behind him. Like, they drafted him 
to be the go-to guy. And they got a coordinator in Todd Munkin that knows how to feed them. So you're seeing everything we're noticing on the tendencies, right? It, it, you, you can see it on the tape in their last loss. Now, the problem is they played, what, three, no, two, two or three games after that? So did they adjust? That's where the previous four-game saturation comes into play, too, those other games outside of the Baltimore game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I'm seeing on, on tape, according to Baldy, and what we're seeing with some of the analytics and the game planning that we've talked about. Carly, you got anything to add to that? Any questions, anything? Well, I would want to know the answer to your question. Did they adjust? Um, don't know. Haven't watched the other tapes. So, <laughs> okay. unfor- unfortunately, there's only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> so that, my guess is what they probably did was they probably tightened up on zone a bit. But again, let's go back to the schedule and see who they beat. Who did they beat? Um, let's go back again, throw the Rams game out. So they played one other game after Baltimore, and it was Washington. That's the 28th best team in the league. They won that 27-10. to 10. So you actually only have one game. I was thinking there was three. There was only one game outside of the Rams game, which they didn't play their starters, that you had an opportunity to adjust. So, you know, the, the fact that you lost that game and then you come back against the Commanders and win, that game right there would be the one to watch. If you guys are going to watch any 49ers game, go watch the Commanders game and see how the commanders tried to attack them. If you see them trying to throw bubble screens, trying to throw smoke screens, smoke routes, things like that, trying to kind of this ride, this, uh, this ride and run or ride and throw, ride and gun, if you will, with that fake toss, the fake gun runs, and then attacking the seam. If you've seen Washington doing that and have a little bit of success, maybe they didn't adjust. If you don't see them attacking that way, it's just so hard, Carly, because, like, listen, it's Washington, right? <laughs> They're not a good football team. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, you go, oh, yeah, they shut that down. Uh, probably could have shut anything down in Washington. So, you know, 33 to 19 against Baltimore. And then you go earlier in the year, if you were to go way back, and this, this is where you got to be careful because if you go all the way back to week eight, week seven, week six, where they were they lost three in a row to Cleveland, Minnesota, and Cincinnati, I mean, that might as well have been last season. That's a huge, huge time frame to adjust, you know. That's why the – Previous four game saturation is probably most important. So, um, yeah, hopefully that makes sense. I was going to get into, I didn't mean to show the cat blitz, but after I hit on like, heck, let's go ahead and explain it. But we're going to get into our defensive game plan during PTA Live tonight, and we'll hit on some of these other. I'm going to try to mark these videos and make sure we get them back in here for tonight because I think it would be fun to walk through that. Um, but yeah, as far as that adjustment, now that we're looking at the schedule, Carly, there's only one other game. So, even it, let's say they did adjust, it doesn't mean they're going to stick with it, right? They may go right back to what they've done all year. They've had a lot of success with it, but I, I think I don't think we'll see just any crazy adjustments. Now, what are they going to do? They're going to go watch the Dallas Cowboys tape, right? Just like we're trying to look for that last loss. Hey, what worked? What was the blueprint to beat the 49ers? What did the Baltimore Ravens do? If you go back, they're going to go back and look at the Dallas game. What did we do well? I mean, we ran the ball, right? We ran the ball down Dallas's throat. Jordan only had to throw 21 passes. So if you're if you put the shoe on the other foot and we're now game planning for the 49ers against the Packers, what's your top priority? It's probably shutting that zone run down, right? So that would mean putting an extra body in the box, I would imagine, and coming out of some of that shell coverage. So even though they played middle field open or shell 46% of the time, 11th most in the league, you may not see that 
that uh, that percentage. Maybe that drops down to 20th in the league if you were to go across the league and we have a time machine to go forward into the future and go, all right, the Packers and the 49ers have already played. You know, maybe they're playing middle field open, you know, 25% of the snaps, and they're going middle field close so they can roll that safety into the box to help against the run. That could be the case. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a game of cat and mouse. And it's uh, the copycat league too. These teams are stealing plays from each other. They're, you know, that's what I, what makes the NFL so great. And a lot of people don't know about this rule. Every NFL team is forced to have their coaching tape turned into the league office. So all 32 teams have access to every, all the other 31 teams have access to every team in the league and their game tape. In most cases, the NFL probably handles it for the most part. I imagine they probably do. And they just – it has to be submitted by a certain time. And some people are going, I don't like that. They shouldn't be able to watch our tape. That's that's why the NFL – it's the difference between the worst team and the best team is so close. You could take the worst team in the league and put together the perfect game plan against the, the opposing team and compete that, that week. That's how we – any given Sunday you get these teams upsetting some of the best. It's because – they're forced to give over that tape. There's no secrets hidden here, right? And that's so you're talking about when you say coaching tape, you're talking about basically the tape from the game that they use to review their plays and all that stuff. Bingo. At a time, Carly, at a time in the league, and I don't know what year this was established, what they were forced to do, what every team was, they would have their camera crew in the top of the stadium recording every play, right? So you can get your all 22 tape. And then those coaches will go review that tape and go, okay, they would send people to the stadium to re- record the games to scout them. So the league ended up making a rule. Everybody, look, why don't we film every single snap from multiple angles, get all 22 players on the on the screen at once, and that has to be submitted to the league office or even just handled by the league office, and everyone will have access to that database. So that way it creates an even more competitive uh, nature within the NFL. It's why the league is so – so well run, to be honest with you. It's why it's the most popular sport in America, in the world, probably. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure soccer is still <laughs> the most popular in the world. There's soccer fans right now going, click, you better shut your mouth. So, uh, yeah. But Hey, can we bring up Bill's? Can we bring up Bill's um, comment that he just made just uh, a second yeah. ago? Let's see it. Bill says in the chat, it seems to me the difference with the offense from last year is that we are breaking the huddle faster and giving Love more time to dissect and allow the play to develop. Um, I'm sure there's analytics out there somewhere, Bill, that would give us the answer to that. I don't feel like we're breaking it quicker. Do you guys remember Aaron Rodgers always getting angry when they'd have to burn a timeout and he's like cussing the sideline? Do you guys remember that? It happened all the time. That was him complaining they didn't get the call in quick enough to him. So maybe they have adjusted and getting the call in a little bit quicker. Now, Rodgers also liked to play with the defense a little bit post-snap. How many times do we see him grinning at people and pointing at them and having a good time, right? Like, hey, this this moment isn't too big for me. A little bit of arrogance, if you will. You guys know I'm a big Rodgers guy. I like Rodgers. I don't I'm not I'm not the fan that as soon as a player leaves an organization, okay, it's time to hate them unless they're playing for a rival like Brett. It's like, oh, when he went to the Vikings, can't stand a dude. He'll be back someday, but right now. I about said something bad. I ain't going to say it. Uh, I just I hope things don't work out for you while you're playing for the other team. <laughs> so um, back to what your question was there, Bill, or comment. It seems the difference is the offense from last year's were breaking the huddle faster. There may be a little bit of that. I would like to try to get the numbers on that. Uh, but I think, I think as a coaching staff, one thing that Matt did too is you've got a four-time MVP out there. I think he was a little more relaxed 
you know, R-E-L-A-X. It's like, Aaron's got this. Let me just see what's the best play. And then Aaron's cussing in a mic going, Matt, get that effing call in. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, hopefully that. What do you think, Carly? You got anything to add to that? No, but that just – it just makes me it, – it's fun. It's funny. It makes me laugh just thinking about that and getting the play in and how every – like the energy and just the way the personalities work out there. And I think that what Love and Matt have going with this team is just – we've just seen it develop as Matt has to has put more on love's plate and loves like, Hey, I can handle this. And it's all just coming together. And I'm, I'm really excited for the, this next game. Yeah. I'm trying to follow what they're saying in the chat here. Um, like Ron Sample said, uh, I'm sure I missed the, the conversation. Let's start with Ron up here. He said, watch the 49ers pod last night. They are so sure that they will now be favored by at least 10 <clears throat> to anyone in the NFC. Probably right but they're looking right past Green Bay. That's good for us, for sure, man. There's no doubt about that. Um, let's see. Uh, Bill, we got to his. <clears throat> Lucky in the chat said, Drew D, agreed. Shanahan and Bosa's attitude I interpret as dismissive. Okay, gotcha. Um, let's see here. Uh, there was one more. Oh, yeah, Ron's next Ron's next comment. That one, um, I saw that too. It was pretty – it was awesome. Shanahan said he started watching tape on Green Bay halfway through the second quarter with a little smirk then only Green Bay in the third quarter. I wonder why, guys. And, again, I know people didn't like us taking our foot off the throttle, but the whole purpose there at the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter when we were up by whatever it was, 40-something to 17, and people were like, all right, well, we got to put our foot on there. You know, we got to do it. And I get that. I understand as a fan, I understand. I wish they had beat them by 70 points. But from Matt LaFleur's perspective, it's okay. If we leave our starters in, let's just put it this way. If Jordan Love goes out there and he gets hurt, I know you had to put them back in. I got you. But if he goes out there and gets hurt, those same fans, a majority of those fans, not all of them, a majority of those fans are going, what are we doing leaving the starters in? They're getting hurt, right? The other thing is Matt LaFleur doesn't want to show another play uh, of significance on tape. I mean, think about that. Shanahan's watching the game live, right? And Matt LaFleur pulls the starters. Shanahan goes, okay, that's it, guys. They're not going to show us anything else. Let's let's go back to what we were doing, game planning for them, right? So it's it's the aspect of the NFL that I absolutely love. And and many people go, I don't care. I just want to watch the game. That's cool. We can all fan how we want, right? But, man, these little games of cat and mouse and trying to get the edge is just, oh, it's absolutely awesome. So anything else in there you want to hit, uh, Carly? Any other comments or anything you see? I wonder if you could just – if. Um... LaFleur could just do like dummy plays or like fake plays to, to give them more tape, but useless tape that we wouldn't actually ever use. Exactly. That, that was the overall goal when you pull the starters, right? They're not going to show anything that, Hey, this was, you know, like when they go into game plan of the week, you got all these plays and I don't know how many plays he's got on Sunday. I've heard some people say there's over 200 plays that can get called at any point, but typically the play call chart is broken down by down and distance. Right. So you've got here are our first and 10 passing plays. Here are our first and 10 running plays. And that's based off of the information we've been covering all week going. All right. Zone runs their weakness. They only rush for 78 percent of the time. They play zone 65 percent of the time. They play middle field open 46 percent of the time. Let's go to our best zone run where we've had our most success in EPA this year. Okay, how have we done against zone run? All right. These are our top five zone run plays. Let's put that into the game plan. What are our. uh, 
plays uh, that we like to, you know, highlight against them only rushing four. Okay. If they're rushing four, then it means they're playing coverage, which means you probably want your quarterback to be able to sit in the pocket a little longer and hit the second windows of throws because they can't cover that long. So if someone decides to bring four and they don't get pressure, they're making themselves vulnerable on the back end because they're having to cover longer, right? These are the top plays for that scenario. They like to play zone. Where are our best plays? When, when we face a zone coverage, and this is where the slappies come in. Hey, guys, I need you guys to get me every zone beater we've had all year long. All right? I need all that information by 12 o'clock tomorrow. Here's our highest, highest efficient, mo- the highest efficiency rate against zone coverage are these plays, these passing concepts, these specific runs, these specific, specific formations, specific personnel. Put that into the game plan. And then middle field open. What plays work best against middle field open? Put it in the game plan. And then you divvy it up. First and 10 run, first and 10 pass. Uh, then you go to uh, second and long, which is like seven yards or more, right? Second and long, here are the pass plays. Here are the run plays that we were most efficient with. Second and medium, which I think is three to five plays or three to five yards. And then second and short, which is less than three yards, okay? Then you go to third and 10 play calls. Here's your top play calls against third and 10. Probably not many running plays, but you'll probably have a couple running plays sprinkled in there just in case they go to like a, a quarter formation, if you will. Not quarters coverage, but quarter formation where there's three rushers and eight in uh, you know, what they call dime plus, essentially. You've got that scenario drawn up. Then you move on to your, you know, like third and medium, what we said, third and let's say uh three to seven yards, third and short, third down and less than three yards to go. And you put your whole game plan together. So that call sheet that LaFleur's got, he's got all those scenarios listed. And he'll go out and you'll see him with the marker, right? Coach Mike getting the marker on his neck during the Super Bowl or whenever it was, the year they won the Super Bowl. And they're going through and they go, okay, on the play call, it's a first and 10 play. Here's our most efficient play. Let's call that play. And they've got can plays attached to it too, which is just wild, right? So that's how they go through. When they run it, put a mark next to it. We know we've ran that once. Now you've got other plays on the chart that marry up to those plays. It's a running play, but you got a play action play that marries up with it. Perfect. Go back to the Dallas game. Remember the uh, the dragon wheel, right? The dragon wheel T screen with the strike concept on the left. Well, the play before that, what happened? They came to the line. They called that play. Jordan looked up. They were playing shell coverage. He went can, can, can. They went to a zone right run. And then the very next play, they came back and called the dragon wheel again. And they came out that play, and guess what happened? The Cowboys had rotated. They had the safety closer to the line of scrimmage. We're showing middle field close, so they stuck with the pass and play there. If they had shown the same look, they probably would have went can, can, can again and run the same exact running play. But they set that play up. On the play chart, you've got – I guarantee you they had that – I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was 12 ace nasty, right? They have a 12 ace nasty run, zone run right, and they have 12 ace nasty um, dragon wheel play with the T screen right next to it. They marry up. You've got two notches here already on that 12 ace nasty run right. All right, it's set up now. Let's run the play fake off of it. All that's got to happen in like seven seconds. For LaFleur, into the whistle, look at the play chart. What's our best option here? Let's call that one. Radio it into uh, Jordan Love. Jordan Love communicates it to the line. They break the huddle, and at the 15-second mark on the play clock, all comms go off, so you can't communicate with the player during the play. So that's why the muddle huddle – God, we're getting deep here. That's why the muddle huddle worked so well, what they called – I think they called it the nitro package they used in Atlanta 
but they carried it with them. They realized that was the best way for Jared Goff to run the offense in L.A. when Matt LaFleur was the O.C. and Sean McVay obviously was the head coach. They said, look, he plays better in a muddle huddle or a nitro package, a hurry-up offense. You know why? Because as soon as the play is over, rush to the line, that means they're getting to the line, and Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur could still talk to him before the 15-second mark. They were literally telling Jared Goff, this is in the Play Callers podcast. He'd get to the line, they go, hey, all right, look, if they show too high here, look for the rotation. If they go rotation, go backside post. If they don't rotate, look for the look for the front side dig. And they're talking to him why he's at the line of scrimmage. It's absolutely wild. So um, the comms do cut off at the 15-second mark. Well, we got deep there. I apologize. I'm such a freaking nerd. Um, you don't need to apologize. That's why we're here. We know that. We know you're a nerd, and we love it. <laughs> you're our nerd. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, appreciate everybody in the chat, man. This has been a good conversation. We we could do a two-hour episode on this one if we wanted to. Um, I could talk about this stuff all day. It's just so much fun, man. I, I'm always learning something as we go. But parting thoughts, Carly, anything you want to add? We're at the hour four-minute mark. Hang on. Sorry, I was back looking at the comments. Um, Real quick. Mm-hmm. Not to go into it too deep, but Drew D asked if we did any reverses or end arounds. And I haven't watched the chalk talk yet. Um, I got mm. some homework to do today, but do you know off the top of your head if we did against Dallas? I don't remember one single play. Now, you do you remember what we did show, though? There was several occasions that I remember Jaden Reed showing a reverse and doing that hard, acting like he's going to get the, 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 uh, the handoff there in the reverse. I think you're right, Drew. I don't remember one reverse. I could be wrong. I may have overlooked it, but I don't remember one. So I know where Drew's going. I know where Drew's up here. He's thinking, if we haven't shown a reverse in a while, do we break it out this game, right? Possibly, but I feel like reverses work really good against man coverage. So they're playing zone 65% of the time. It doesn't mean it can't work. It doesn't mean you don't run it against zone. It's just – you want that guy trailing him in man and everyone else's eyes on their work, not looking at the reverse. When they're in a lot of zone, their eyes are constantly in the backfield. They don't get tricked as much, you know. But I think you might be uh, might be onto something there, Drew. It's a good point. Um, I would rather us not get too cute in that regard. But hey, if you can if you can pull off a twenty five yard explosive, it's going to triple your chances of scoring on that drive, right? And if you if, here's the thing, we haven't seen it much here lately, right? So if we haven't seen it much lately, the 49ers aren't seeing it much lately they're probably not keying in on it, you know? So might be the time to break it out. Just like we talked about the sift blocking, the split flow, it wasn't working early in the year because people were not biting on the split flow action. They were just jamming in there and, and hitting the running back for a loss. We got away from it. Teams stopped thinking about it. Now we're gashing them with it, right? I guarantee you it won't catch the 49ers off guard. Not to say we can't run on them with split flow, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it definitely won't catch them by surprise because we've done it a lot here lately, but all right, let's wrap it up. Anything else, Carly? No, it's good. All right. This more to do today. This was a fun episode. I'm going to dive into our defensive game plan a little bit deeper. We'll have that ready for you guys for PTA live. We'll also have the injury information. We've already got the mock injury report. I'll just hit on it real quick. Let me drop the banner down really, really fast. Every time I try to wrap the show up, I find something else. I did want to hit on it. Jair Alexander limited. Kenny Clark limited. A.J. Dillon did not participate. Kingsley and Igbari is pretty much done for the year. It sounds like it was an ACL, if I understood correctly. We'll probably get the official word today. Um, Elton Jenkins did not participate. He'll be good to go. He's been doing that pretty much the whole season, resting for the most part in practice. Isaiah McDuffie did not participate. 
uh, limited. Keyshawn Nixon, Jonathan Owens, Jaden Reed, Darnell Savage, Preston Smith did not participate. Quay Walker, full participation. That's good news. Christian uh, Watson, limited. We know he'll be ready to go seeing that he played, as long as you don't have a setback in practice this week. Now, understand this injury report, guys, to the best of my knowledge, they didn't actually do a practice. But because of the schedule and having to get at least three injury reports reported, if I understood correctly, the training staff is supposed to create a, if we did practice, this was this is what the designations would be. On the 49ers side, did not participate. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, defensive end with a knee injury. Um, Dre Greenlaw, linebacker, did not participate. And then Logan Ryan did not participate. And tackle Trent Williams did not participate, although that's just veteran rest. Trent Williams would be good to go. He's an absolute dog. So, uh, yeah, again, it's kind of a fake injury report. Some people go, that means absolutely nothing. I agree with you, but more information is better than less. So there you go. We're out of here, guys. Appreciate y'all. We'll see you for PTA Live tonight where we'll dive into our defensive game plan a little bit more. We now have five extra notes on the offensive side of the chart. So we'll start to, uh, like I said, dig in a little bit deeper on how our defense can kind of uh, hold this offense in check because they're just as good on defense as they are on on uh, are just as good on defense as they are on offense. That's for sure. This is just one of the most well-rounded teams I've ever seen in the NFL, and that's why it gets me excited that hey, everybody's writing us off. I think Bet US had them at uh, ten point underdogs. They be in the Packers. So uh, another good reason to go over and check out Bet US, the official sports book of Packers Total Access Live. If you guys want to support the stream. And, and pay $0 to do it, just click on the link in the description. That will send you directly to BetUS, where you can register for free as a customer. And by doing that, it lets BetUS know that we sent you to them. We'd appreciate y'all doing that. Again, that's BetUS, America's favorite sports book, celebrating their 30th year in business. We're out of here. See you tonight. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.